The focus of this parak, this chapter, is hashoka, when a invalid mikveh is touching the water of a valid mikveh. In general, it becomes validated because we view it as being a part of the mikveh itself. Likewise, if there is a collection of rainwater that is less than the volume of 40 sa'ar, if it is connected to the water of a mikveh that is large enough, then since it's all considered to be like one large mikveh, so all of that water would be valid to purify things in. And this is also a result of the concept of hashaka. Now we already learnt in the previous parak that in general, in order for the two collections of water to be considered like one, the hole in the wall that separates the two mikvois needs to be at least the size of the tube that comes out of a leather flask. Some kind of leather flask or bottle that was common in those days. And at the opening of the flask at the top, there would be a small tube that came out of it, roughly the breadth of two fingers, slightly more. And in general, the the hole that joins and combines the two bodies of water together needs to be at least that size. The next couple of Mishnayis show that this is only true because we can see two separate bodies of water in front of us. And there's a clear wall dividing the two. It's just that there's a hole connecting them. In order to consider both of these separate bodies of water to be considered like one, the hole needs to be at least that size. However, there are a couple of exceptions where there's no dividing wall between the two bodies of water. And it's very clear to see that the more secondary collection of water is really considered to be very much a part of the main mikveh, and therefore even if the water is connected to the mikveh by less than that size of hole, the concept of hashoka will still apply. Kolam la mikveh, anything that is mixed with a mikveh and connected to a mikveh, ka mikveh, it becomes like the mikveh itself, that's the general rule of hashoka. And the Mishnah says that holes or cracks in the side of a cave where there was a mikveh built, the mikvois in those days were very commonly built inside of a cave. The point is, if there are cracks or holes in the actual wall of the mikveh itself, one is able to immerse different items into the water in the cracks and the holes, and they'll be purified, even if it is smaller than the size of that tube that comes out of the flask. Because over here, it's not a separate collection of water that we're trying to connect to this mikveh. The entire hole is open up into the mikveh, and all of the water is considered to be like one entity, and it's all a valid mikveh. However, ukasama'ara, a chamber, a sort of another area inside of the cave that is underneath the mikveh, the way that it is built is as if there are two different stories inside the cave itself, and there's water above and below in the same cave itself, the Mishnah says that that chamber underneath is considered to be a separate collection of water, and therefore, Eimat Binimboam would not be able to immerse other items inside of the water at the bottom, assuming that it itself ha- contains less than a volume of 40 sa'ar, unless there was a hole at least the size of the opening of a leather flask, the tube that comes out of the top of the leather flask, combining the water at the top and at the bottom in this chamber. But if the hole is smaller than that, then we would not consider all of the water to be like one, and since there is less than 40 sa'ar of water at the bottom, it would not be valid. On Rabbi Yehuda Eimasai, Rabbi Yehuda adds in explanation, he says, when is all of this true? Bizman shima medis atzma, 
in a case where the chamber can hold itself. That is to say, if somebody were to go into the mikveh in the top story, he would immerse himself fully, and the floor of that top story, which is essentially the ceiling of the lower story inside of that cave, it wouldn't fall through. So then we consider the two different levels inside of the cave to be separate from one another, and we would have to have a proper significant hole for them to combine. But if the floor or the ceiling, which is separating the two levels, is not able to hold itself, that is to say, if somebody were to go into the mikveh, into the water at the top level, then that which separates the top and the bottom will cave in and all breaks. So then that entire separation between the top and bottom level is not considered to be significant. It can't even stay there, and therefore, you would be able to immerse things in the bottom level, even if there is a hole smaller than the size of a tube which comes out of a leather flask, because such a break and a partition is not considered to be significant at all. It's not strong enough, and therefore we view it all as being like one, and automatically there's no need for there to be such a large hole to combine the two mikvahs. Mr. Base, in order for an item to be purified when it is immersed in a mikveh, it needs to be submerged fully, and the water needs to be touching every single part of the surface of that item, both the inside and the outside. And if there is a very small opening to that item, but the water enters through that opening, and the entire inside of the container has contact with the mikveh water, then of course the item will be purified, and there's no minimum size that the opening of the container needs to have in order for it to be purified. As long as the water manages to get into that container, and all of the inside and outside surface of the item is touching the mikveh water at the same time, it will be purified. And if you think about it, this essentially means that the water inside of that container has the status of mikveh water that purifies. And because of this, the Mishnah notes a interesting outcome that we are sort of forced to say, a bucket that is filled with different items inside of it, and somebody dipped that bucket into a mikveh. We're talking about a bucket whose opening is very narrow, and it's smaller than the size of the tube that comes out of a leather flask. So in general, water that is inside of such a container... Even if it is connected to the water in the mikveh, the concept of hashoka won't apply, since the hole which is connecting the waters is not large enough. However, over here, since the bucket itself is tome and it's being purified, and like we explained, we're essentially forced to say that the water inside of that bucket is considered to be mikveh water, because the bucket itself becomes purified via that water. Since the water is considered to have the status of mikveh water in terms of the bucket itself, the Mishnah says that even the items that are inside of the bucket, will be purified via that water that is inside of the bucket, even though the water is connected to the water of the rest of the mikveh by a hole that is smaller than the tube that comes out of a leather flask. And really, this is a second exception to the general rule that for Hashoko, we require a hole that is at least the size of a tube of a leather flask.
Now, when exactly does this apply? Specifically, when the bucket in which the tools are placed is Tome, and it itself is being purified via that water. So because the water gains the status of something that is purifying, that power of purification applies to anything else that is inside of it as well. But the Imloitoval, if he wasn't submerging this bucket itself in order to purify the bucket, the bucket was already pure. The items inside of it were tome and they needed to be purified. Then, Ein Hamayim Ayrovin, the water inside of the bucket is not considered to be combined and joint with the mikveh water, and the items will remain tome, unless the opening of that bucket was at least the size of a leather flask's tube. Mishnah Gimel, Shlisha Mikvais, if there were three different collections of water next to each other, and there was a wall separating each of the mikvois from the one next to it, and they're all sunken into the ground slightly such that if water were to overflow from any of the mikvois, the water wouldn't flow away to the ground surrounding the mikvois, but rather it would only be able to flow into one of the mikvois which are over there, because the top of each of these mikvois is slightly lower than ground level. It's not in line with the rest of the ground. Shlisha Mikvais, if there were three mikvois, Bozeh Esrim Sa'ar, in the first mikvah out of the three, there contained 20 sa'ar of rainwater, water which is valid to be used for a mikvah. It's just that there's not enough of it because we need there to be at least 40 sa'ar. And in the next mikvah along, the one next to it, there was also 20 sa'ar of regular rainwater that is good for mikvah water. And in the third mikvah at the end, Esrim sa'ar ma'im sha'uvim, there were... 20 sa'ah of drawn water, which is water that is not valid to be used for a mikvah. And the mikvah that contains drawn water, ma'im sha'uvim, is on the side, it's on the edge of the three, as opposed to being the one in the middle. And three people went into the three different mikvahs at the same time, and they immersed themselves in those mikvahs. And as they went down into the mikvah, the water was displaced and it overflowed beyond the top of each of the mikvahs, and the water got mixed together with the water that was in the other mikvahs as well. All of the mikvahs are considered to be valid, and all three people who immerse themselves in those collections of water are considered to be purified. Since at that moment that they all immerse themselves, the water of the two valid mikvahs combine together, thus creating one joint body of water that has at least the volume of 40 sa'ar, because it's 20 sa'ar plus 20 sa'ar that are joint together, so there's enough water of valid rainwater, and therefore the people would be purified. Not only that, but even the water of the third mikvah that was Maim Sha'uvim, since that is touching the water from the other tunic voice, which is valid water, so the concept of Hashoka will validate even the Maim Sha'uvim, the drawn water. And all of that water is connected, so there's essentially 60 Sa'ar of water that is all considered to be valid. Now it should be added as well that if you think about it, at the same time that the water gained its minimum size of 40 sa'ar, it also had 20 sa'ar of Maim Sha'uvim added to it, simultaneously. 
Now, it's very unlikely that it happened literally at the same time, and there's definitely a large possibility that the Maim Sha'uvim combined with the water before there was 40 Sa'ar of valid water connected. So surely that Maim Sha'uvim would have invalidated, there's at least a possibility that it invalidated the other water, such that it won't even help to have 40 Sa'ar of valid rainwater later on, because if 20 Sa'ar of Maim Sha'uvim connected to the water in the middle first, then it would all become invalidated. But the truth is, the Maim Shuvim here certainly will not invalidate the other water, because what happens over here is that it overflows and spills over onto the ground or onto the top of the wall that divides each of the mikvahs from the next one, which means that even if it does end up combining with the other water, the concept of Hamshacha occurs. Hamshacha is when Maim Shuvim runs across the surface of the ground, and when that happens, the Maim Shuvim will no longer invalidate the mikvah. Be it as it may, the Mishnah says that all three people will be purified, but the Mishnah also told us that all of the mikvahs are considered to be valid as well. What this means is that once the people leave the mikvahs, and now we're left once again with three separate mikvahs, each containing 20 sa'ar, or possibly slightly less, because some of the water would have been taken away with the people, and the Mishnah is coming to teach that the mikvahs are essentially considered to be valid, such that if rainwater would fall into each of them until they reach a volume of 40 sa'ar each, then they would be valid mikvahs. Even the mikvah that contained Maim Sha'uvim at the beginning, since that Maim Sha'uvim connected to the rest of the water via Hashaka, it was then considered to be like part of that valid mikvah. And now we view it as if part of the valid mikvah fell into this body of water in the ground, this pit. And it's just that right now there's less than 40 sa'ar of it. But the water itself became validated and therefore it's considered to be proper valid water. Now what happens if Hoyo Hashav Ba'emtza, if the water that contained Maim Sha'uvim was in the middle? It wasn't on the side, it was in the middle. The Yardu Shleisha Tonubahem, and three people went and immersed themselves in the mikvah at the same time, and it's Orvu and the water mixed together by overflowing. Hamikvah Kameshahayu. The mikvah are as they have been until now. That is to say, the two mikvah on the side that contained rainwater, they remain valid. But the middle mikvah that had Maim Shuvim until now remains invalid. Over here it's different to the first case, because over here there aren't 20 sa'ar and 20 sa'ar of rainwater that combine with each other to make a valid mikvah for us to then be able to say that even the third mikvah of Maim Shuvim combines with them and it all becomes validated. Over here, there's 20 sa'ar of invalid water in the middle, so we're unable to create that combination of 20 sa'ar and 20 sa'ar of valid water for it to be considered a proper mikvah. And therefore, certainly, there's no room to start talking about hashoka to validate the middle mikvah. All that we're able to say is that the two mikvahs on the side remain to be valid, so that if they'll be filled up later on with 40 sa'ar, then it will be a valid mikvah, and the water does not become disqualified via the maim sh'uvim that combined with it, since there was hamshacha in the middle, the Maim Shuvim spilled over to the ground in between them, and thus lost its ability to disqualify the mikvah. But no valid mikvah was created, and therefore the Maim Shuvim mikvah certainly remains invalid, and none of the people who immerse themselves in any of the mikvahs will become pure. But 
Those who immerse themselves remain Tome as they have been until now, since there were not 40 Sa'ar of valid water that combined to make up one valid mikveh. A sponge or a bucket that contained three log of water that was absorbed in the sponge or into the walls of the bucket. For example, if the bucket was made up of wood which absorbed a lot of the water, and the water that is in there is considered to be Mayim Shovim drawn water that is inside of a kli, la mikveh, and they fell into a mikveh. Now the mikveh contains less than 40 sa'ar, so there is right now really three loig of maim sha'ovim inside of a mikveh that contains less than 40 sa'ar. So I would have thought that the mikveh should be invalidated, but the Mishnah says no, loipasaluhu, that water does not invalidate the mikveh water, because the language that the Chachamim used in their decree that they said that three loig of drawn water invalidates a mikveh was three loig that fall into a mikveh. The implication is that if we see three loig of water that has been drawn that fall into the mikveh, then it invalidates it. But over here, all that we see is the sponge or the bucket falling into the mikveh water. We don't see the water, the maim shuvim itself, falling in. And because of that, it isn't included in the decree of the Chachomim. Because since anyway, this is only a stringent simajabonon, it's a decree that the Chachomim made. There is an exception over here that is less recognizable that there is drawn water inside of the mikveh.